1: This episode is brought to you by Thinking Ahead. Thinking Ahead's diverse team of executive recruiters specialize in executive level talent acquisition in the world's most competitive and sought-after industries. As an employee-owned company, Thinking Ahead has award-winning consultants widely recognized as subject matter experts in their respective specialties, including banking, life sciences, healthcare, nonprofit, IT and gaming, energy, legal, security, and sales. Since 1982, Thinking Ahead has built expertise and delivered results that keep their clients engaged year after year. They believe that recruiting is not a one size fits all solution. Their wide ranging expertise enables them to ask the right questions, arrive at the best answers and deliver desired results quickly. They continue to excel on their mission to connect the right people with the right organizations at the right time. Visit thinkingahead.com to learn more about how our specialists can help you recruit Top level talent or serve as a trusted advocate in your career search. On today's episode, host Dan Moore speaks with Patty Hop instead, Vice President of Human Resources for Southwestern Family of Companies. From her upbringing in Central America to her beginnings in security, stint in city management, and beyond, Patty brings the influences and determination from her unique background to everything she does, helping to create the safest, most inviting work environment for employees of all types. We hope you enjoy.
0: Well, everyone, welcome to the Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore, and very, very pleased today and excited to have a colleague and team member that will work closely together with Patty Hoppenstedt. Patty is the Vice President of Human Resources for Southwestern Family of Companies. And she brings a tremendously interesting background, resume, and set of skills to bear. Having recently watched her in action, she has what managerial scientists call a great range of motion, where she can go from a delicate employee matter to hosting a company luau and seemingly without any gear shifting in between, which is terrific. So, Patty, welcome to the Action Catalyst.
2: Oh, Dan, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on the Action Catalyst. I'm a big fan.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that. One of the things that we always love to do is to find out from our guests what they consider the most important pivot points in their life. Can you kind of reflect, starting with your amazingly, let's just say, no childhood that we've had a guest on the show can duplicate what you experienced as a young girl?
2: Absolutely. So I am um, born and raised until I was about six years old in Managua, Nicaragua. Uh, My mom is originally from Mexico and my dad is um, from Nicaragua. You know, they both came to the United States and met and fell in love in Chicago, Illinois. They eventually decided to move to Nicaragua after being married. And I was just uh, about a year old when in 1972, Manawa experienced a devastating earthquake, which destroyed a lot of the area, including the home that we resided in. That was a the night of a big family wedding. My mom decided to take my older sister and I home early from the wedding. My dad stayed behind, and it was while we were home alone that the earthquake hit, and my mom had to throw my sister and I make the decision to to save our lives and threw us out of the second story window, begging people to catch us um outside who were all fleeing and trying to save their loved ones as well so it was something that I I don't personally remember, but that set the direction for, you know, the foundation of who I would be as a woman, as a professional. My mom is totally my hero and she continues to be through her um, journey of raising two girls. So it was devastating to hear the stories that my mom shares of just walking through the streets of Nicaragua, trying to reunite with my father and hearing the screams of those who were being buried alive because their homes collapsed and and fell on them. This happened very, very late, early morning, and um, people were asleep. So what that taught me or hearing the stories and my mom saying how I'm a survivor of an earthquake definitely gave me the early love and appreciation for living every day to its fullest and never taking anything for granted and making sure that, you know, you do good today and not put it off till tomorrow. And, you know, strangers caught my sister and I, people who didn't even know us, who were also trying to save their loved ones. So that instilled in me that if it weren't for those strangers that caught us, it would have been potentially a different result for my family and I. So just being there for people and always helping, even though you think, you know, you may not be the were in you know the right person to help, so that has always carried with me. You know, I was born a U.S. citizen and a Nicaraguan citizen because both of my parents were U.S. citizens when they were married and moved to Nicaragua. So having dual citizenship, I always felt this um, connection to Nicaragua. Being born there, you know, my mom set a very strong work ethic for her girls, and and you know another pivot point for me would have been when. We moved to the United States. We we had nothing but each other. We relied on each other to make it through this new world of the United States that I had never known before. I remember the first time that, you know, my mom bought a house and we were now living the American dream. So to me, it was important to the things that she instilled in us. It was always work hard. Um, never take, assume that things will be handed to you. Always Help others along the way, and having each other, and having that support—that that circle of support around you—to help you through the, any difficult challenges and the, and those difficult times. Making sure that we fulfilled our commitments and um, we did what we said we were going to do—that we kept our word—was really important um, within our household. I, I think that's why I gravitated to human resources. Because of, you know, human resources is that one department that is there to help employees stay engaged and, and focused and provide that support through the total employee life cycle so that they can focus on being great leaders and, and, and contributors to the organization at whatever level they are within the company. Human resources is truly my passion. And I, I love getting up every morning because I know there's people counting on me.
0: Wow. Patty, this is a profound story of well, what could have been a catastrophic, very short life for you, but because of your mother's courage, because of the kindness of people that were willing to stop their own evacuations and catch you and your sister, it's instilled a tremendous sense of gratitude in you, a tremendous sense of service, of appreciation, and never taking one second for granted. Those are things I'm taking out of this. And you you moved back to the US when you were about six years old, is that correct? That is true. Yes. So, So how much English did you speak at that time?
2: Not a word. I remember my mom bringing us to, this, to school for the first day of, of school in the United States. Um, and my mom spoke very broken English, but um, she did speak English. The first day, I remember coming home. And I would say for the first few weeks of school, I would come home crying. And um, it was a Catholic school. So it was Catholic nuns that were teaching the the classes. And all I understood, Dan, was baby Jesus. They kept bringing up baby Jesus. And that's the only thing I took out of my days at school. I would come home crying and saying, Mom, all I know is that they keep talking about baby Jesus, but I have no idea what what they're saying to me or about me or what I'm supposed to be doing. So the Catholic nuns came to our home and specifically to meet with my mother to tell her that she was obligated. To speak English to us in the home because my sister and I were not excelling in the classroom and in our English speech and reading as we should be. And my mom stood her grounds with the Catholic nuns and said, Well, isn't that your job? Because my job is to raise my daughters and they will be raised knowing and speaking their native language. My sister and I ended up with tutors who provided us that extra support so that we could learn the the language a little bit faster. And we do till today, we speak Spanish in the household and that has served me so well. Being able to speak two languages has allowed me to communicate professionally with colleagues and various employees that I otherwise would not be able to communicate to or would not have trusted to communicate with me as an HR professional.
0: Right. Right. How much older is your sister?
2: My sister is seven years older than I am. And um, she was born in Chicago before my parents moved to Nicaragua, where I was born. So my sister didn't um, know English originally, but had forgotten most of it.
0: I think it's interesting. On a personal note, my wife is seven years older than her younger sister. And they also immigrated and didn't speak any English at all when they came to the U.S. And her parents settled in a predominantly Portuguese immigrant community and lived for decades, really never having to learn a lot of English. They learned some, but because of that, my wife and her, all of her siblings are totally bilingual and as a naturalized U S citizen, she's very proud of that. It's amazing. Same span of difference in the years there. So you said you were gravitated to HR. I know you've got a master's degree in that field. What did you start off with in college and, and did you know, like from freshman year, this is what you wanted to do or there's some certain other events that shifted into your pathway?
2: Oh, gosh, no. I was a typical high school student that I knew that I wanted to go to college because my mom always told us your education is going to open doors for you that were not opened for me. My mom had to drop out of high school to help raise her siblings. She was the oldest girl of five siblings. So she needed to help my grandmother, who was widowed, help raise the siblings, her siblings. So my mom always told my sister and I that education, education, education was going to be key. And she would say, I don't want you to work in a factory like I did, because I think you girls are going to do great things and you need your education to help you achieve greatness. And so she realized the value of education because unfortunately she didn't have the opportunity to pursue an education. And um, so what I did know is that I was going to college, but I had no idea what I wanted to do once I was there. Um, I had a really good friend who started to take some criminal justice courses, and I decided to take a criminal justice course as well, just to check it out. And I... Slowly um, started to take more criminal justice courses, up to the point where I was going to be majoring in criminal justice. And I think I realized I liked criminal justice because I thought that I would become a federal agent and free the world of all you know crime and and drugs and be able to help women and children and others um, live in a better community and have a better life. So I thought that's how I was going to help people. So, I double majored in criminal justice and political science. In my junior year, I learned of an internship with a private security firm. And I mean, physical security firm where they um, hire security officers. And they were offering this internship. I found out that it was a paid internship. And I said, sign me up. I, I want to make some money and um, work in the criminal justice field. Well, I. Was working as a security officer, uh, my junior year in college, at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, Illinois. On the third shift, which meant the overnight shift, right? And I was walking the halls of the Museum of Science and Industry, and there I was with my uniform, my badge, my polyester, you know, uniform, and I felt important. I was making a difference. I was guarding the museum and keeping it safe. And after graduation, um, they offered me a full-time position. And Dan, before you knew it, one thing led to another, and I became a director of security. And I worked in locations like um, Northwestern Memorial Hospital, which is a huge hospital network in Chicago, downtown Chicago. I had the opportunity to be the director of security for the John Haycock building, which is the second- tallest building in, in the Chicago area. I came to the John Hancock building after 9 and was there to help implement a lot of the post-9-11 security procedures. And I sat on the Anti-Terrorist Task Force, only female on the task force. I learned a lot being a part of that Anti-Terrorist Task Force. And I realized that Although I had a passion for helping others and keeping others safe and secure in my security role, what I really loved about being a director of security was that I was training and mentoring and helping my security team uh, be security professionals and be interviewing candidates and bringing in that top talent and being part of that decision process and offering job opportunities to people. and, And again, developing and helping them achieve their goals in life professionally. And I realized, I think that's what human resources does. So that's when I went back and received my master's of business administration with a concentration in human resources management and decided that I was going to pivot and focus on helping more in a direct way, interviewing, developing, creating policies, and being a resource to our employee population in whatever organization I was a part of.
0: Mm -hmm. It shows a lot of self-awareness, the fact that you were willing to identify what you had the greatest passion about for your career. And you explored that in the security director role and realized there's a better fit for me. And you went after that to really, but still not changing your mission about helping people and and being a difference maker.
2: And in everything I do, Dan, I think something that's important is passion, Mm. having a passion for what you do. I remember a leader telling me a story once about, it was a big day at NASA and they were about to launch the spaceship and there was a worker who was a maintenance employee and their job was to clean the floors, mop and take out trash. And they had been out sick for, you know, about a week. And this Nassau worker is busy, busy, busy trying to get to, you know, the, the launch and noticed that the maintenance worker was, was in that day. And he stopped and said, oh, I thought you were sick. You've been out, you know, a few days. Said, well, I'm not necessarily feeling my best, but I'm here because I need to launch a spaceship. Mm. And my job is gonna help you and others. I may not be the one pressing the button or giving the signal or you know, making that final call, but what I do every day is to help launch a spaceship. So that story has always stuck with me and it reminds me that doesn't matter what role we play in an organization whatever role, little task we are, you know, um, empowered to do, you're going to help launch a spaceship.
0: Mm -hmm. That is a phenomenal illustration. And what I take from that as a leader, when we're trying to lead and develop other people, how important it is to let them know that what they do matters, that what they do is important to our organization. But in the event that there's there's not a manager to tell that, we have an obligation to tell ourselves that, to show ourselves that our work does matter and throw ourselves into that work. We can't just expect somebody to always say, here's why what you do is important. It's up to us to figure that out. That's probably the biggest lesson I'm taking from what you're sharing here just now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's very important to know that you're valued. It's very important to know what role you play in the organization. And it's very important to feel empowered. And you're right. As leaders, we have an obligation to ensure that our team members feel that value and feel empowered and have that clear direction.
0: Right. It also occurs to me as I listen to your career trajectory, how important it is to to benchmark what we're doing against events in the world. In your case, a catastrophic earthquake. In your case, becoming director of security right after 9-11 and understand that we have a place in making things better is such a key moment being aware that this moment in history is unlike any we've experienced before, we can still go forward and do the very best we can with what we're given at this moment.
2: That's wonderful, Dan. And, and I couldn't agree more. Gosh, I am very blessed and very fortunate. And I have an amazing family. I, I'm, I'm married to an amazing man and I have two wonderful children. So I couldn't ask for a better situation. And and working for Southwestern, I not only have my dream family, but I'm also working in my dream job.
0: That's fantastic. Well, if you could help out with one thing, Patty, some of our listeners are just moving phenomenally through life. Things are sailing smoothly. Everything is great. We've got some others that are dealing with the really difficult situations. What advice would you give people that just don't know what to do to get unstuck from whatever they're dealing with?
2: Really, you need to find And understand that there is a purpose. There is a reason for us to be here. And build your circle of those who you trust and and know you can count on. Whether that's friends, family, neighbors, a support group. Surround yourself with those who you can lean on when needed. But know that you are here for a reason and you have a purpose. Find that purpose and continue to work towards that purpose. And not every day is going to be a good day. And there are things that I've had to overcome personally. And then I would run into someone who said, we met a year ago, you hired me, and now I'm working here. Or you gave a speech that I heard and it moved me. And I was having a bad day that day. I didn't think the speech went well. And little did I know that i made a difference in someone. So know that you have a purpose and that you make a difference.
0: Love that. That's fantastic. Patty, this is just phenomenal. I want to, I want to wrap up with you t- sharing the story about your and your husband, Todd, love the Chicago Cubs and you <laughs> love them so much. Can you explain about the names of your children for us?
2: Absolutely. So my husband, Todd, um, born and raised in the Chicago area. A diehard Chicago Cubs fan, you know, did not go well for Chicago Cubs fans for many, many, many years, but Todd always stayed loyal and um, we met, fell in love and found out we were having our first baby. I'm a planner, so I told him I needed to know the gender so I, we can paint the room and is it blue or pink? I didn't want to go with yellow and uh, we found out we were having a boy. So Todd immediately suggested that we narrow down the names for our baby boy. And I told Todd, oh, my goodness, we have so many months So I haven't even bought the official, you know, best names for babies book. And Todd said, well, you know, I have some ideas, which I should have found suspicious. <laughs> and he said, how about Clark? And I immediately said, oh, like Clark Kent, Superman. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. I, I, I like that name he said, well, no, not quite. I was thinking more Clark Street. I'm like, Clark Street in Chicago? Why would we name our son after a street? And he said, well, because Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs, is at the intersection of Clark and Addison Street. And then I also thought, Hoppenstead, a long last name deserves a short first name. <laughs> so Clark Hoppenstead it is. And sure enough, uh, we find out we're expecting again. And I find out it's a girl. Thank goodness, because Todd already had us committed to Addison. (laughs) So our children's names are Clark and Addison, named after the intersection of Wrigley Field. And I said, thank goodness it's a girl, because not that Addison couldn't be a boy's name. But the other options are Waveland and Sheffield. Those are the other two intersections at Wrigley Field. (laughs)
0: So
2: I told my husband, I am definitely not going with Waveland or Sheffield. So (laughs) we have Clark and Addison.
0: Well, that is good. I hope they don't grow up to be Dodgers fans.
2: (laughs) I think Todd has always said, I could take anything. But if they tell me they're not Cubs fans when they're older, they're out of here.
0: It's okay. Put that in the will. (laughs) (laughs) Patty said, thank you for, for sharing of your heart, your story, your insights. I'm personally very inspired by this, and I know our listeners are as well.
2: Oh, thank you, Dan. It's been my pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.